Well, good morning, Chillicothe Bible Church. He is risen. He is indeed risen. Uh, I want to take a minute here. Uh, we have some uh, we have some folks who are new or folks who haven't been here for a, a minute. Uh, so just take a second here and greet those who are around you. All right. y'all let's return to our seats now (laughs) oh it's always a risk letting the people of Chillicothe Bible Church fellowship with one another (laughs) you never know how long that might go but I'm glad to be part of a of a loving congregation of people here at Chile Bible. Uh, by the way, if you are here for the first time and you're and you're here because you're looking for a good church, let me just encourage you that you can stop looking. You have found one, and um, and we're really glad that you're here. Uh, we're excited to uh, to have you be part of our worship this morning, and we hope that you'll become part of the family uh, in weeks to come. Uh, but regardless, we're delighted that you're here to worship. God uh, with us and to worship Him through the Word now. Uh, I have been the pastor here at Chili Bible for almost 15 years now. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. I, I, my, my anniversary here is coming up in August. Uh, I, had, I had lighter hair then and more of it. Um, but I have, uh, I have in, that, in the course of that time, buried 50 of the people that were part of my life here at this church. Fifty people. Believe that? With many of them, I have had the privilege of walking alongside them for months or years as the footsteps of death got louder and louder. With a few of them, I have been right there at the moment where they entered eternity. With other people, death came suddenly far more quickly than any of us were prepared for. And regardless of how death came, I find that I have a love-hate relationship with doing funerals as a pastor. On the one hand, I count it a tremendous privilege to serve the family and to be present with them, bringing words of hope from the Word of God into the very worst of life's pains on the very worst of life's days for that family. But on the other hand, I hate funerals. I'll tell you why. Because whatever someone may have once told you, death is not natural. Death is not normal. It is not just another part of life. It is one of our enemies. And it is the most relentless enemy of them all because it claims 100% of human lives, separating them from their loved ones and leaving them behind to grieve 
and tearing a hole in them that they eventually learn to deal with, but that doesn't fully heal on any day of this life. Amen? And that reality and the grimness and relentlessness of death is the reason why Easter and the resurrection of Christ is worth celebrating. Resurrection Sunday is the day when Jesus begins the long, slow march through human history to death's final destruction. Death will not always reign over our lives. And that is what we're here celebrating here today. The fact that death will not always win. That Jesus will win. And He will bring to victory every single person who has put their faith and their trust in His triumph over death at the cross and in the empty tomb. And so in the spirit of celebration, I want to read to you from the Word of God from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the passage we'll be looking at today. And in honor of God's Word, if you would stand as I read uh, the Word together with us. This is beginning verse 20 down through verse 26 of the book of 1 Corinthians. This is what the Word of God says. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for He must reign till He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that we who believe in Jesus Christ are not hopeless in the face of death. We do not have hope in this life merely uh, in Christ Jesus, our Savior. We have hope that goes beyond death. And we know that for us, death will be but a doorway into your glorious presence. Father, I pray as we celebrate that you would remind us that Jesus Christ is the victor, the warrior who puts death itself to death. And causes us, those of us who follow Him and put our trust in Him to be victorious with Him over even the grave. And Father, we pray that we would celebrate well through Your Word and worship You in response to it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please be seated. Well, before we simply dive into the text, let me back up and put this, this uh, passage in context. The Apostle Paul who wrote this book, um, wrote 1 Corinthians specifically to answer questions and to deal with problems that had arisen in the church at Corinth. Uh, let me just ask those of you who have been to church before, uh, can a church have problems? Yes, okay. Uh, a church can have problems, and this church, uh, it, the church at Corinth, was Paul's problem child. They had a lot of problems, and he wrote this letter to address them and to deal with those questions. And among the questions and problems uh, in the church at Corinth were some folks who were teaching people that there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead and that Christians who died before Jesus 
returns die without any hope of eternal life. And so this whole chapter, chapter 15, that I read a section of, is written to address that issue and that question and reassure people that not only has Jesus been raised from the dead, but that His resurrection is the proof, the assurance if you need any, that all who put their trust in Jesus Christ will also be resurrected from the dead one day. And so if you look at the text now with me, verse 20 reminds us that Jesus has in fact been raised from the dead. In fact. Those words are important. In other words, the resurrection is not just a nice little story that we tell to kids in Sunday school. It is a historically provable fact. It is an event. In fact, I've never personally known anyone who who decided for themselves to really investigate the resurrection, who did not become a Christian as a result. And since it's true, as the text says, that Jesus has been raised from the dead, then there are some very significant implications of that fact for us. There are three big truths I want us to see in verses 20 to 23, and they all have to do with the fact that Jesus' resurrection gives us new life. First, Paul points out the fact that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, let me clarify a couple words in that sentence. Okay? First one, fallen asleep is Paul's term in 1 Corinthians for Christians who die. Because Christians, when they die, do not die in the same way as non-Christians. When Christians die, their spirit goes immediately into the presence of, of their God, to, in the presence of God the Father. Their spirit rests at His side until the day of the resurrection of the body from the grave. And so this is called, in, to use a theological term, this is called the intermediate state. But you are... In a sense, your body is asleep, your soul is alive in the presence of God. And you enjoy God's presence until the day of the resurrection of the dead. So that's Paul's term for it, that you have fallen asleep. And also you see this word, first fruits, that's important. Let me explain. God commanded the people of Israel, the ancient people of God, who were uh, all descendants of Abraham, uh, through Isaac and Jacob, uh, to, to celebrate three feasts in the spring every year. The first one began the Jewish New Year, and it was called Passover. And Passover celebrated the fact that on the night that uh, the tenth plague of Egypt fell on those people, that God told those people to put, uh, to slaughter a lamb at twilight and put blood atop and at the sides of the door. And that all who had the blood of the Lamb on their door, that God would pass over those houses. And He would put to death the firstborn of everyone else. And so the firstborn of Egypt, from the Pharaoh on his throne to the slowest slave girl grinding grain in Egypt, if they did not have the blood of the Lamb covering them, they were not passed over and their firstborn was struck dead because God said, Israel is my firstborn. And you have kept her enslaved for 430 years and this is the night we get out. 
and God took them out. That was Passover. Jesus, incidentally, was crucified at the, at the time of the morning sacrifice on Passover Eve. And he died at the time of the evening sacrifice on that Passover Friday. He was raised to life on the second feast that you may not be familiar with, the Feast of First Fruits. The Feast of First Fruits is the beginning, marks the beginning of the harvest season. When you would bring in the first of your crop into the temple as an offering to God. And the first fruits are the first initial harvest that you get. And it symbolizes the fact that God is going to bring something much, much bigger. By the way, the, the third spring feast is Pentecost, at which the Spirit of God came. So Jesus fulfills all of the feasts of Israel that were given as symbols and as signs to the people so that they would not miss the significance of Jesus when he came. But Paul here calls him the first fruit from among the dead, not only because he is raised to life on the first day of the Feast of First Fruits, but because it's symbolic of the fact that Jesus' resurrection is going to be the first of a much bigger resurrection. That you and I who believe in Jesus will be part of that much greater harvest of souls whom God will bring to salvation through faith in Jesus and we too will be raised from the dead with him. He is the first fruit, but we are the harvest. Amen? Now look at the scriptures with me here. You'll see another aspect of how Jesus' resurrection gives new life. Jesus' resurrection marks the reversal of the curse that God laid on human beings because of their sin in the garden. The scripture here notes that when Adam sinned, all of his posterity, all of us became like him. We uh, inherited a sin nature from our father, Adam. So as in Adam, all die, the scripture says. We get a different destiny because we are connected to Jesus. All who are related to, to Adam die because all received from him a sin nature and thereby incur the death penalty for sin that their sin nature leads them to commit. But through Jesus' death and his resurrection, something different happens to those who believe in Jesus Christ. All who are related to Christ, the second Adam, the fully God and fully human person of Jesus, conquer death and are restored. Look at the text. What does it say? It's glorious. For as in Adam all die, this is verse 22, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. That's new life, not just in this life, but in the life to come. For all eternity, in other words. That you are renewed and restored so that if, even if you die physically, you will dwell eternally with God in a renewed and restored body. In Christ, all are made alive. 
all who believe in Jesus are made alive. And that brings us to the last big truth we need to see here in verse 23. Look at what it says. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. There is an order to it. Christ is first because he is the first fruits. And then later, you and me and all of the other Christians from all times and places and languages and races and sexes, all people who put their trust in Jesus Christ will be raised from the dead at one time at his coming. The word there uh, in Greek is the word parousia. It means the sudden appearance of a king or a deity. It's the word that the Romans used to describe their emperor's tours of the empire. When, when, when Nero, for example, would come and see various parts of his empire, they would not tell anybody necessarily that the king was coming, and then he would show up, and it's like, oh, the emperor has come, right? And the emperor in ancient Rome was worshipped as if he were a god. But Paul here is using the same word to indicate that Jesus is coming as the true king, the true God, not some Johnny-come-lately pretender like Caesar. And the point is, is that Jesus' resurrection is the first event that starts the clock on the end times. And our resurrection his coming is the grand finale conclusion. Y'all been to fireworks? You remember what they do at the end? They shoot off like 50 of them all at once, right? Boom, 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 all over the sky, right? Jesus' resurrection is the first of the fireworks. And when he comes for us, he will raise all Christians from all times and places to life in an instant. At the last trumpet, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. At His coming, we have the grand finale. And Jesus will establish His kingdom with Himself as King over all creation. This is what Pastor Josh was talking about. That, that Jesus' coming is the reversal and the restoration of all things that are screwed up about the world. And can I just get a witness that all of the world is screwed up? Right? Amen. Okay, Jesus is returning. And when He returns, when He returns, Restoration comes with him. Resurrection from the dead. And that brings us right to verses 24 and 25 where Paul reminds us that Jesus' resurrection is the reassurance that the kingdom is coming. It's easy for us to forget, men and women, that what we are living right now, the life that we have in these days, is preparation for the kingdom that Jesus is bringing and that our role, we're going to have a role in it that, that is determined then by our faithfulness to Him in the here and now. It's easy for us to forget that. In fact, for many of us, it's easy to get so consumed by the daily grind and the worries and concerns of our life right now that we, for, 
we forget there will even be a kingdom. But Jesus' resurrection serves as the great reminder that the kingdom is coming. And it inaugurates the progressive establishment of the kingdom. Jesus will rule until every last enemy of God is defeated. And the Bible tells us this will happen in stages, including between now and the end of all things, the church age in which we're now living, and the tribulation, the seven years of trouble, that is the fulfillment of God's program for the nation of Israel in which He will turn toward them and use them to reach the remaining unreached portions of the world. And then a millennial kingdom in which Jesus will reign from Jerusalem on this earth. And all these are part of the coming of the kingdom. And after all that is concluded, there will be a final judgment. And you can read the details of that in Revelation chapter 20 where it describes the eternal destruction of every unbelieving person and every rebellious demon. The entities that are called here in 1 Corinthians 15.24, every rule, authority, and power. But the point is, is that Jesus' resurrection initiates His rule as the King. And the kingdom begins to come with His resurrection. And He will rule over all creation, which will continue until every last enemy of God is defeated fully and finally and forevermore. There will be no more enemies of God. And Jesus' resurrection, verse 26, also proclaims death's destruction to us. Look at verse 26. I love this verse. You should... If you have a Bible highlighter, you should highlight this one. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Look at that. You just ponder that truth for a minute. We sang it earlier. We sang the resurrection hymn. Death is dead. Death will die. It will, according to Revelation chapter 20, among the things that God casts into the lake of fire to be shut out from His presence and from the presence of His, uh, of His chosen ones, His saved people, among the things that will be cast into that place forever separated from God and the majesty of His power will be death itself. Death and the grave, John says, were both cast into the lake of fire to be destroyed. And it will never escape from there. And you and I will dwell forever with God. If you believe in Jesus today, men and women, you will never die again. You will never grow old a second time. Praise God. Amen? We will not grow old a second time. We will experience renewal. And what we will be is not yet made clear. The writer C.S. Lewis famously said that, that you have never met an ordinary person. That each person that you meet will spend 
eternity either as an everlasting horror or as a being which if you saw them revealed today in their glory, you would be strongly tempted to worship them. You and I will take on the glory of our Father if we believe in Jesus Christ. We will not grow old. We will not fade away. We will not grow fat and creaky anymore. We will dwell forever with the Lord in new bodies. Why? Because Jesus Christ has in fact been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, the point of this passage is that the resurrection is not some interesting, kind of funny, unique, but secondary doctrine that Christians hold to. This is a belief of massive, central, foundational, fundamental, critical importance. It is the reason that we have hope not only for life beyond the grave, but have hope in the here and now. The resurrection of Jesus proves that He is the God-man the incarnate Son of God whom He claimed to be. And it means that Jesus and following Him, believing in Him is worth any price. You will bear any burden. You will pay any cost to put your faith in Jesus and follow Him. Why? Because He is the one who can defeat death and has. And so, what can you do to me? Nothing. Can you torture me for the sake of Christ and have it be worth it? Yes. Can you put me to death for the sake of Christ? Yes. Can you put me in prison in some dank hole on the worst places on earth? Yes. How do I know? Because there are people around the world who believe in Jesus who pay exactly that price and they count Jesus to be worth it. I hope that the day never comes where I have to figure out if I consider Jesus to be worth it. But I can tell you this. He is worth it regardless of whether I am faithful to Him or not. He is worth it. He is the victor over death. He is the one who is worthy of worship, who is worth laying down your life for, who is worth sacrificing everything you have ever had, everything you could ever acquire in order to gain Christ and to give it all to Him because He is the King. He is the conqueror of death and He is bringing an eternal kingdom in which we will all live eternally face to face with Him and all others who have followed Him and put their faith in Him. We will be there. He will be there. And knowing these truths and having put my faith in Christ gives me not only new life, but it gives me hope every single solitary day in every single circumstance, no matter how tough. Are you dying? Depends on how you count. 
answer to that to that question from all of us is yes. Some of us can see it. Some of us it's a longer way off. But we're all dying. Why do you keep getting up in the morning? Because Jesus Christ has in fact been raised from the dead and given me new life. The resurrection of Jesus makes me fearless in the face of every fearful circumstance. The resurrection of Jesus Christ encourages me to be faithful to Him regardless of, the, of being in the teeth of every temptation. It gives me faith worthy of proclamation, a Father in heaven who loves me as His child. It gives me His indwelling Spirit that He promised, by whose indwelling power He raised me to empower me to live for Him. It makes me a member of a worldwide, continent-spanning, interracial, cross-cultural, barrier-destroying, Satan-defeating fellowship of the redeemed. The resurrection of Jesus Christ transforms all things by God's mighty power at work in us and for us. So as we celebrate the resurrection today, let's proclaim it to the lost. And let's remember our hope that we receive because of it and let's live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming for us. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we celebrate the resurrection of the Son of God. One half of the message that we have, that Jesus died for our sins in our place as our substitute, and then He was raised to new life. That we might experience new life with You with Him, by Your Holy Spirit, for all eternity. Father, I pray that You would make us fearless, because the resurrection of power of Jesus is at work in us by Your Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that You might make us faithful, that as we live for Christ, in response to Christ's love for us. Father, I pray you'd make us faithful. And Father, I pray that you would cause us to have great joy. Make us joyful people, Father. Fill us with your Holy Spirit in such a way that the joy of Christ overflows out of our lips, out of our lives out of our mouths. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.